You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Evil minds that plot destruction. Sorcerer of death's construction. In the fields of bodies burning. Machine keeps turning. Death and hatred to mankind. Poisoning their brainwashed minds. Welcome to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, Australia's sacred cow, Slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national, international events. Listen to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. My name's Joseph Toscano. I'm hosting today's program. The program is also podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. Now, this program comes from the studios of Community Radio 3CR in Melbourne and has most community radio stations. We're feeling the pinch with the COVID-19 crisis and we had to cancel the radio fund this year at Community Radio 3CR, which raises a lot of funds to keep this station on air and keep many programs from this radio station broadcast on the Community Radio Network. So we've got a uh, an appeal for the month of June for the station. And as I keep saying, you want to be like the rich and famous, you want to be like a celebrity. You've got a lot of spare cash. Well, maybe you've got a few dollars spare. And you need a legal, legitimate tax deduction. Well, donate to the 3CR Community Appeal for the month of June and do it before the 30th of June and you'll have a legal, legitimate tax deduction. Do what Kerry Packer used to do and do what the rich and famous uh, continue to do. Minimise their tax legally to nothing by donating to their favourite uh, causes. So donate to 3CR and you can do it in two, in three ways. You can go to 3cr.org.au, follow the prompts and uh, you can donate. You can send uh, cheques or money orders to post office box 1277 Collingwood 3066. Post Office Box 1277 Collingwood 3066 or you can ring 039 419 8377. Now, I, I'm just amazed at the ignorance of the garbage that continues to be published in the uh, legacy media and uh, social media about anarchism. Now, as I keep, tr- I've been doing this program now for all, over 40 years, I think 43 years, this is my fir- 43rd year. The word anarchism is a very simple definition from the Greek anarchos, which means without rulers. And I really get annoyed when I hear people who should know better who call themselves academics uh, talking about anarchism as if it's anti-democratic. It's exactly the opposite. In order to create a society without rulers, we need to devolve power. That's a fancy word for sharing power 
and we need to hold wealth in common because inequalities in power and wealth which give individuals and junters and small groups the ability to dominate the lives of hundreds of millions, if not billions, of people on planet Earth. It's very simple. Anarchism is about devolving power, sharing wealth. And the way to devolve power is through direct democratic mechanisms. So anarchists are democratic. We don't believe in representative democracy because we don't think giving a signed blank check to somebody for three or four years to make decisions for you is the best way to make decisions. Anarchism is about people involved in a decision, making that decision, and then electing or appointing delegates to coordinate those decisions at a local, regional, national, and occasionally on an international level. Very simple concept. Nothing radical about it. And that's why it continues to raise its head generation after generation after generation because we have something to offer, especially in the 21st century, in a century where we are seeing the concentration of power and wealth in fewer and fewer hands, and we are seeing the consequences of that concentration of power and wealth. And we see it at a local level, a national level, international level, and most importantly of all, at an individual level. Now, I'm... You know, words are wonderful. I love words. I love words because you've got to look at the words and you've got to look behind the words. Now, beloved Prime Minister, Mr Morrison, second coming Morrison, he um, was using the words recalibrate fiscal policy. You like those words? Recalibrate fiscal policy. And he's going to recalibrate fiscal policy, well, his party, the Liberal National Party, are going to recalibrate fiscal policy by increasing economic growth. You like that? Increasing economic growth and squeezing expenditure because they do have an $800 billion black hole to fill. So let's look at this in terms of plain English, things that you and I, simple people like you and I, can understand because obviously we don't understand what they're talking about. Obviously, we do understand what they're talking about, although they use all these words to camouflage what the policies are. And the policies are very simple. And I've explained this over and over again during the COVID-19 crisis. The policies are very simple. It's about removing the platforms that have been created to uh, protect people from uh, poverty during this crisis. In other words, squeezing people squeezing people, decreasing expenditure on essential services, decreasing expenditure on people on, uh, you know, job seeker, job keeper, and the list goes on and on. It's about decreasing expenditure, which means using less money to support the community. And this garbage about economic growth. Now, a lot of people think that Australia has had this unlimited, unbroken 30-year Uh, run of economic growth because we've been good managers of the economy. Governments after government has told us how how wonderfully they manage the economy, in inverted commas. Well, what we've had over the last 30 to 40 years is a Ponzi economic scheme. And the Ponzi economic scheme is based on population growth and increasing immigration levels. Although John Howard made his uh, political fortune on uh, his uh, so-called stand on asylum seekers and refugees in inhumane stand, they actually tripled 
the immigration rate to around 200,000 a year. Now, with the COVID-19 crisis, you are not going to get permanent immigrants coming to this country. So you're not going to get this Ponzi economic scheme where the more people you have, the more homes you need, the more construction you need, the more businesses you need to create. And the list goes on and on and on. So how are they going to increase economic growth? Well, they're going to increase economic growth, and we've seen the beginning of this. They're going to increase economic growth by lowering wages. That's right. By removing conditions, by further deregulating the economy, by increasing the number of individual contracts in the community. And that's why we're seeing this so-called detente between the union movement and the business sector. Because they need the union movement to actually kowtow to them so that they can actually create a low-wage system. So nothing has really changed, COVID crisis or no COVID-19 crisis, because this federal government has always been about growth for growth's sake. It's been about high immigration levels in order to create a Ponzi economic system which is based on creating more jobs, more businesses, more growth, more construction based on the number of people in the country. It's got nothing to do about us being smarter or working harder or being good economic managers. It's about high immigration rates. So we are in for a difficult time, and I continue to say this. A lot of people are in for a difficult time over the next two to three years. And by the end of September, we will see the reality that this country is facing because you need to remember that before the COVID-19 crisis, this economy was tanking. Every available indicator was telling us the economy was tanking. So it's critical that people like us continue to raise economic alternatives to capitalism especially corporate capitalism. I mean, the word capitalism is a fancy word, and all it means is private investment for private profit. Very simple. Whether it's an individual, whether it's a multinational or transnational corporation, it's about private investment for private profit. Very simple. And it's quite interesting to see how the uh, move to cut greenhouse emissions and... uh, is moving towards green capitalism. We're seeing companies like BHP, which have made their fortune from petroleum, moving to into the green capitalist business. Again, they don't care what they invest in. Private investment for private profit. That is the underlying basis of a capitalist system. Private investment for private profit. It's not about private investment to assist the public or the community. It's about private investment for private profit. So it's diametrically opposed to what anarchism is about. It's about holding wealth in common and using it for the common good. Diametrically opposed. Diametrically opposed to what we have been saying. So whether it's green capitalism, black capitalism, pink capitalism, capitalism is capitalism. It doesn't matter what the adjective you use to describe 
the type of capitalism. Capitalism is capitalism, private investment for private profit. Whether it's individual, whether it's a family network, whether it's a privately owned company, whether it's a corporation. It's the same underlying philosophy. Whether they invest in ways of decreasing greenhouse emissions, whether they invest in the uh, you know, gay community, whether they invest in something else. It's private investment for private profit. So it'll be interesting to see how Mr Morrison and his government, which continues to have a bit of a dream run, um, will deal with this crisis. Because if there isn't massive increased population growth, we will not be in a situation to actually... Um, deal with the, uh, deal deal the situation by using capitalist mechanisms because there will be not there won't be economic growth irrespective of the amount of money the government pours in to create so-called jobs. This is the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. My name is Joseph Toscano. Okay, let's move on. Treasure trove of cynicism. You like that? Treasure trove of cynicism. Now, I've got a big box next to me and it's glowing. And I'm going to open the lid of the box. I'm not going to look in the box and I'm going to pull out something. And I'm going to look at it. And I'm going to share my joy with you. My treasure trove of cynicism. Well, I've put in my hand, I've pulled out religion. Yes, religion. It seems that religious-based faith organisations have had a little bit of a rough time recently. A lot of things have come out of the closet. Things that aren't very nice, like the sexual exploitation of children. A lot of issues, as far as religion is concerned, and more and more people are actually abandoning organised religion and maybe, you know, interacting with their uh, God in in their own way without the need of a middle man or a middle woman to actually uh, moderate the relationship. So we're losing faith in organised religion in this country for very good reasons because the very institutions which were created to protect us have been shown to be grossly wanting, not just wanting, but grossly wanting. Not every individual in those organisations, obviously there are very well-meaning, hard-working individuals within religious organisations who do the best they can, but the infrastructure and the hierarchy in those organisations found to be wanting grossly in many regards, especially as far as the Roman Catholic Church was concerned. So... Let's put my hand back into this treasure trove of cynicism and see what I can pull out. The banks. You know, the banks are there to help us. They provide us with money so we can enjoy the good things in life as long as we're willing to pay them back. That's right. Now, we know that all the banks, all the financial institutions have been wonderful. Except that after a number of years of uh, trying not to have a Royal Commission of the Banking Sector, we had a Royal Commission of the Banking Sector. And we found that these organisations were basically shafting us, 
continuously, and they continue to shaft us. Fancy charging 21.5% interest on a credit card. When you can borrow money, they can borrow money for 1%, maybe 1.5% maximum. Fancy. And all those relevations in the uh, Banking Royal Commission, all the people who committed suicide, all the people who were driven into depression, anxiety, and the list goes on and on, through the hardball tactics the banks used to maximise their profits, more interested in maximising their profits and return to their major shareholders than actually interested in their uh, customers. So there seems to be a lot of cynicism around financial institutions in this country, around the banks, the major banks and other financial institutions, you know, the, uh, the prudential funds, and the list goes on and on and on. So... This treasure trove, it's just full. It's like Aladdin's cave, you know. But there aren't diamonds and uh, rubies and pearls and gold in this treasure trove of Australian cynicism. There's just sadness. I've pushed in my arm again and I've pulled out the political parties, the major political parties. What we've seen over the last two decades, is fewer and fewer people becoming members of major political parties. We've now got the ridiculous situation in Victoria where some people are saying that half of the 16,000 members of the Victorian Labor Party are basically branch stackers, which means they're not real members, but they're members that are put there whose uh, fees are paid to enter the party who's basically there to vote for a particular individual or not. Now, I I find it quite interesting. I mean, Branch stacking is nothing new. It, it occurs continuously. If you look at uh, Malcolm Turnbull, the former Prime Minister's rise to power, he rose to power by stacking his local Liberal Party branch and then being pre-selected for Parliament. It's very simple. The smaller the political party, the easier it is to branch stack, especially if the political party is not based on democratic principles. And that's the key. It's about direct democracy. So what we are seeing is a major disillusionment of political parties. And this is a problem. It's a huge problem in a parliamentary democracy. Because what happens is individuals who are seeking power and influence and corporations that are seeking power and influence through these individuals dominate the political scene. But more importantly, they dominate the legislative agenda in Parliament. And Parliament creates the laws which you are expected to follow. And if you don't follow, there are consequences, as we all know. So if you've got a very small base in the major political parties, and many of these people are not interested actually in being members of that political party, but are therefore, you know, they're helping a friend or something, you've got a real problem as far as the legislative agenda of major political parties is concerned. A huge issue. It's not just a Labor Party problem, it's a Liberal Party problem, it's a National Party problem. It's a huge problem for all these political parties because if they don't actually have a wide membership base, they don't really represent anything except themselves, except the individuals who find themselves pre-selected and, uh, and especially Australians who basically love to you know, vote for the same people over and over again. 
And when we formed public interest before corporate interest in uh, 2015, it was formed on the basis of creating a political party which is based on direct democratic principles. And those members of PIPSI, uh, over 600, I think about 750 members currently, but only 423 on the electoral roll, what we found is that uh, policy has been initiated, discussed, congresses, and then a vote of all members. So again, if you are disillusioned with the major political parties and you want to, you're still interested in change, and that's the problem with the treasure trove of cynicism, is that we tend to think, oh, there's no point. There's no point. Money bends iron bars. There's no point. Those that own the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication will continue to dominate the political and social and cultural processes you know, for time immemorial. There's no point. There's no point. Well, when you look at struggle, when you look at human struggle, when you look at the way people have actually been involved in struggle and you look at change and the change that has occurred, it has occurred because people think there is a point, irrespective of the amount of cynicism. Because a treasure trove of cynicism is just the thing that the status quo needs. If people believe in their hearts of hearts that you can't fight City Hall, if they believe that things will never change because the institutional structures that are supposedly there to protect them have been exploiting them for generations, then those that can wheel power continue to wheel power because there is no op- organised opposition to them wielding power. It's one thing being involved in a single issue campaign. It's another thing being involved in an organisation which looks at all aspects of how society is structured and provides alternatives what is available. So think about it. Cynicism is the drug of choice of those who exercise power. The more cynicism in the community about our ability to change things, whether it's through direct action or direct democracy or through the political current political processes, the more cynicism there is, the greater their control of us, and we have seen this ad nauseum. And one thing I've noticed quite interestingly, you know, uh, actively campaigning for more membership in public interest before corporate interest so we can actually uh, register as a federal political party in the next uh, six months or so, we need about another 125, 130 members on the electoral roll, is the deep cynicism, a cynicism that is so deep that people are not willing to do anything because they think every effort is doomed to failure. If I thought every effort was doomed to failure, I wouldn't be coming here as a volunteer for over 40 years to present an analysis of local, national, international events. I wouldn't bother. It would be a total waste of time. I mean, I come and broadcast on the Anarchist World this week and other radio programs and YouTubes, presentations and leaflets and the list goes on and on and activities and campaign because I think you can fight City Hall and I think you can change things. Sometimes you change things a little bit and other times you can change things radically. 
depending on the current situation, depending on the uh, situation at hand. So that's the key. Cynicism is their drug of choice. It's their soma. As long as you remain cynical about the possibility of change, nothing will change. Obviously, we are cynical as a population, as a people, especially in this country, and I think in every country in the world, we are cynical regarding the political, current political processes. We are cynical regarding the financial processes. We are cynical regarding, you know, number of social movements and cultural movements, the list goes on and on, you know, that are dominated by people who are involved in private investment for private profit. I mean, it's a natural cynicism. It's an extraordinary, you know, it's a natural response. But as a people and as individuals, we need to move away from cynicism into action. Whether it's a protest, whether it's writing a letter, whether it's talking to the people around you, whether it's joining a new organisation that you'd like to join, that's involved in um, action. When you do that, what you do is you write the agenda. Because the slogan that public interest before corporate interest runs under is very simple. We are the people we've been waiting for. And I'll repeat it. We are the people we've been waiting for. You can't rely on this country's religious institutions to push a reform agenda. Most of them are incorporated into the uh, capitalist system. Most of them are now uh, totally dependent on government contracts to provide so-called services to the so-called disadvantage, the exploited parts of the population. So you can't rely on these organisations whose reputation is in tatters. You can't rely on the captains of industries, those billionaires and multimillionaires who dominate the current economic system. Why would they be interested in any way in looking after the community that they make their profits from? If they were interested, you'd think they'd pay their fair share of tax and not minimise their tax to almost nothing in over a third of uh, major corporations in this country. You would think they'd actually put back into the community because it's the community which supports them. Community provides law and order, police force, armed forces, security, and the list goes on and on. But they're so short-sighted, they're not willing to put back into the community. So you can't rely on the captains of industry... You can't rely on the media. I mean, the government guild at ABC. I mean, I feel sorry for the people that are left in the ABC. Every day we see more and more cuts. There'll be less than 3,000 full-time employees in the or employees in the ABC in the next six months, less than 3,000. And they're so heavily censored that it's difficult for those presenters in the Australian Broadcasting Corporations who are all on short-term contracts these days to actually articulate a more radical agenda or even a reformist agenda. And every time they open their mouths, we've got all these so-called you know, uh, fascist right-wing think tanks which uh, stomp on them and, uh, con- currently. And obviously you can't rely on the government, you can't rely on the corporate-owned media. I mean, I don't want to go... In about the bad in for the corporate owned media, but the corporate owned media is about making a buck for them. And you make a buck not just by selling newspapers or running radio stations or having a social media um, uh, presence, 
you make a buck by the amount of influence you have on the political process and the type of legislation which is passed through Parliament which actually improves your business opportunity and profitability, and that's what it's about. So you can't rely on the uh, legacy media or the uh, new media. You can't rely on them to actually take up your issues. Occasionally I'll take up a, a single issue, but normally it's entertainment in inverted commas, if you can call it entertainment. So we are the people we've been waiting for, you and me. We are the people we've been waiting for. The world's been waiting for us. We've been waiting for us. We've been looking around for generations and saying, who's going to do something about that? As I said, there's two tribes in Australia, two major tribes, and most Australians belong to one or the other. And while these tribes prosper, nothing's going to change. There's the Gunner tribe. I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And the great thing about the Gunner tribe is they don't do this and they don't do that. But they're going to. They're going to. They're going to do it. They're going to do it. And then there's the other tribe that's not even going to Gunner. They say somebody should do something about that. They see racism in the community. Somebody should do something about that. They see increasing poverty in the community. Somebody should do something about that. They see how the institutions are becoming corrupted. And they say, somebody should do something about that. Well, I'm sorry. Nobody's going to do something about that unless you do something about that. And the Black Lives protests which have sprung around the world have highlighted that if you leave it up to the authorities to change things, nothing changes. And the key to those protests is the continue, that the fact they continue day after day after day and that people are expanding the um, range of issues they're looking at. And that's the key. Somebody, you can't rely on somebody doing something about that and you can't say you're going to do something. You need to do something if you want change. Well, if you don't want change, if you're happy with the current situation, if you're happy with wages decreasing, if you're happy with deregulation and many of the regulations which are in place to protect you on the job or in the community are removed, well, fair enough. If you're happy about globalisation, you know, where we see local industries destroyed, so people can buy cheaper tomatoes from overseas, canned tomatoes from overseas. And if you're lucky about corporati- if you're happy about corporatisation, where your choices are grossly reduced as local businesses wither on the vine and large corporations dominate uh, every sector of our community, and all you've got to do is go into any major shopping centre, and the, and the names you see are the same names in every shopping centre across this country. If you're happy about that, fine, fine. You know, that's good. But if you're not, and you're a member of the Gunner tribe, and you're a member of the somebody should do something about that tribe, maybe you should sever your uh, relationship, tear up your membership card, and become part of an activist tribe. It may be public interest before corporate interests, which has a political agenda, as well as a direct action agenda. It may be another organisation. And if you're not happy with what's happening in the world today, you could create your own organisation. But, you know, try to 
created on the basis of direct democratic principles. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. My name is Joseph Toscano. I'm hosting today's program. You can access the the program via podcast 3cr.org.au. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. It is broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. If you want to send me a letter, and I do still answer letters, write to me at Post Office Box 20. Parkville 3052, Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. If you want to leave a message, 0439 395 489, 0439 395 489. If you want to join public interest before corporate interest, download the application form from pipsi.net, P-I-B-C-I.net. The uh, website is up and running. You can look at the policies of public interest before corporate interest, get involved join. If you're not computer literate, leave a message and I will um, send you out some application forms or you can always write to Post Office Box 20 Parkville 3052. If if you're interested in YouTubes, I do a YouTube presentation every week. Go to Public Interest Before Corporate Interests. Facebook page, Joseph Toscano or Toscano for the Public. Some websites that may be of interest to you, pipsy.net, anarchismedia.org some Facebook pages which may be of interest to you. Public housing, everybody's business. Defend and extend public housing. And the list goes on and on. There's lots of things happening in the world today, but it's a matter of whether you're happy just to lie back and take it, whether you've had enough and you want to be involved in constructive, that's right, constructive criticism and constructive organisational campaigns. And that's the key word, constructive, because they love chaos. Because when you have chaos, it justifies their existence. Let's move on. Let's move on. I'm sounding like a preacher today, aren't I? But let's move on. I don't know if you've noticed this, but um, in Australia, and obviously other parts of the world, but in Australia, and this is a little bit of a concern, is the increasing militarisation of the police forces across this country. Not just in terms of the amount of equipment they have and the fact that many have got now got uh, semi-automatic and automatic guns at their disposal, not just uh, special strike forces, but just ordinary police and all the anti-riot gear they have, <laughs> up to tanks these days. And this is the police force, not the armed forces. I'm talking about your local friendly copper, right? And how the... Uniforms have been changed, colours from blue to black. It's quite interesting why the the, um, colour blue was chosen for police and the first organised police force was in London. And the military wore red, so they decided to wear blue. But now we've seen the replacement of blue, which is a relatively friendly community colour with the replacement of uh, people wearing black uniforms, heavily armed, on the streets, large groups. It's as if there's some type of occupation force, not a, a, a force that protects the community, as we've seen in the United States of America, where people are more frightened of the police than they actually are frightened of uh, uh, you know, the uh, criminality around them. It's quite interesting how the nature of the police force is changing, where it becomes a, a mechanism of control not a mechanism by which it provides protection and support to the community. 
but a way of actually keeping the community in check. And that makes a lot of sense in Australia today because as we see the increasing economic inequality, as we see more and more Australians under increasing stress, as we see over over the next few months as the uh, Prime Minister recalibrates the country's fiscal policy, there will be resistance because people will be faced with real questions about where they live, can they afford the rent, can they pay their mortgage, do they need to sell their house, where are they going to work, how long they can work, what are the conditions like. So there is there is move for social change. So obviously a militarised police force then becomes an occupation force which is used to control the population, not actually assist the population. And it's quite interesting that, you know, I do feel sorry for the police because in many regards the police and jails have now become the dumping ground, well, the jails have become the dumping ground of society's problems. With the decrease of the amount of support which is given to the community as the fiscal, you like that word, squeeze is placed on the community, what we see is the police force acting more as social workers, trying to take care of society's problems, than a police force. Because there isn't that social support within the community to provide services, as services across this country have been defunded over the last 40 years during the deregulation, privatisation, corporatisation, globalisation revolution which has swept the country. So everything is intertwined and that's the issue. As I keep saying, it's about joining the dots. Nothing exists in isolation. You may think that you're a very resilient individual, but nothing exists in isolation, and you do not exist in isolation. You are part of a community, whether you like it or not. Think about it. Now, I was shocked, and it's a little bit hard to shock me these days, but I was shocked. And I usually think that I've got my finger on a lot of issues. But I didn't realise, this is before the COVID-19 crisis, mind you. These are figures before the COVID-19 crisis. These are figures at the end of last year. I didn't realise that Australia was the, Australians I should say, Australians were the second most medicated people on the planet for anxiety issues. I'll repeat it again. Now, we're supposed to live in the land of milk and honey, and we've got people you know, trying to get into the country. We've got refugees and asylum seekers. We've got people going through complex immigration uh, system to get into the country. And around the world, we're, you know, we're supposedly you know, a great country. Universal health care system, um, people going to access property, and the list goes on and on, all right? fair wages, laws that protect people, inverted commas. So why are we, as a people, as Australians, the second most 
medicated population on earth for anxiety. Why is there so much anxiety in a country which is supposedly the envy of the world, whether it's COVID-19, our response to the COVID-19 crisis, economic crisis, healthcare, social security system? Is it that we're all individually, you know, we've got problems? Is it an individual issue? Because most ways of coping with anxiety in this country are very simple. People self-medicate through drugs and alcohol. Big problem. Many people who are addicted to drugs and alcohol have reached that stage because they've been self-medicating because of anxiety issues which they, they face. Then we've got the pharmaceutical industries, which is a huge penetration in this country. And, you know, a lot of people think that if you take a pill, it'll solve your anxiety issues. And when medical practitioners are under pressure to do something, they prescribe a pill for people's anxiety. And then we've got this whole new industry, which has been created over the last decade or so, you know, of increasing exercise, of yoga, of uh, mindfulness, and the list goes on and on, where people are looking for individual solutions to individual anxiety. Now, I don't think, I'm not poohooing what people are doing. I'm not poohooing self-medication, medication, or, uh, you know, uh, other ways of dealing with anxiety which are not medication-related or, or um, drug-related or alcohol-related because they do have some effect on some people. But my concern is, if we live in the land of milk and honey... Why is so much anxiety in this country? Why do people feel on edge all the time? What is it about living in Australia that makes us anxious? Look, if, if I was living in the Democratic Republic of the Congo today, in June 2020, I would be anxious. They've got two Ebola outbreaks, which they're trying to control. They've got to deal with the COVID-19 crisis and Kinshasa is under strict uh, you know, rules. They've got a measles epidemic because children aren't being vaccinated because people don't want to go out and vaccinate children with the COVID-19 crisis and over 8,000 children have died in the last uh, six to eight weeks of measles. And then we've got a civil war raging in various parts of the country. So if I was living in the Democratic Republic of the Congo in Africa... I'd be anxious, and there'd be good reasons for my anxiety. But I'm living in Australia in 2020. There's no civil war. No civil war. There's no Ebola. The COVID-19 crisis is under control at the minute because of good public health measures. It's under control. I mean, we have a social security system, which is, you know, we have a universal health care but as a people, we are anxious. Not as just isolated individuals, but as a people. There's this great anxiety in the community. So what is this anxiety related to? I think that this anxiety is related to the fact that, one, as I said before, we have a treasure trove of cynicism. We have lost faith in all the important institutional structures in this month, in this country, religious, political, economic, 
the military, and the list goes on and on. We have lost faith. So that puts us on edge because you can't really trust people in authority and that's why we find that a lot of people have, uh, you know, moving across to delusional belief systems about this and that instead of actually tackling the issue. Then we've got growing inequality. Although we've had 30 years of unbridled growth, in inverted commas, this has been based on, a, as I said, a Ponzi immigration scheme where you get more and more people and create more and more resources to look after those new people and that keeps the economy ticking over. So there's this increasing anxiety. Then if you're in work, there is increasing anxiety because there's 1.7 million people in this country, mainly non-unionised and temporary work visas, competing against 12, about 11 million people in the workforce. That's about one in five, one in six. So there's this constant tension in your job place that you could lose your job at any time. Then there's the problem that we're one of the most highly geared, I like that word, geared financially people on the planet. That means we owe a lot of money, whether it's for mortgages, because of spiralling house prices, which have no resemblance to the real value of those homes due to low interest rates and people thinking that real estate is not a, you know, some type of investment portfolio you know, through uh, by the use of uh, government uh, legislation, which uh, you know, negative gearing, which helps people to get into the housing market as an investment. So we've got high house prices. Then we've got stagnant wages because a large number of people in on temporary visas and the large number of people who have now left the trade union movement, which has been almost legislated out of existence. So you've got that constant anxiety every day. And then you've got high debts, whether it's the billions of dollars which are in credit cards, and credit card debt is quite crippling because interest rates range anywhere from 12% to 21.5%. Quite extraordinary interest rates. Huge interest rates. So you've got crippling debt. You've got increasing issues as far as the cost of essential services is concerned, gas, electricity, the list goes on and on. You've got work conditions which are deteriorating, increasing competition for a decreasing number of jobs, fear that you're going to lose your job. And if you lose your job, as you know, six weeks without wages is a is the road to poverty in this country because you've got to sell up everything before you can get onto social security benefits. So six, you know, so you've got all this pressure. And then you've got the pressure that you need to conform. You need to conform to these stereotypes about what you own, um, how you look. So you've got all these pressures. And then you've got pressures on children in school and in the education sector, huge pressures on children, what university are they going to go to, what course are they going to go to, do they have the money. And then we have the perennial problem of the 30% of Australians who are on social security benefits, who need social security benefits to survive. That's one in three. Many single parent families. An increase in government legislation which has marginalised, ostracised and criminalised people on social security benefits when Mr Morrison and his cohorts introduce their recalibrate when they recalibrate the finan- their financial policies, you will see that although we're supposedly in this together, that within a few months we'll be back to the same old rhetoric, you know, dull bludger, you know, people 
shafting the system, and the list goes on and on. And then there's all these increasing bills that we are subjected to in Australia. I mean, I, I can't believe the amount of bills that come across my desk every day. I cannot believe, and I'm still working part-time, and I'm not saying, you know, I'm in any way in a bad situation. I'm not in a bad situation, but I do know a lot of people who find it almost impossible or impossible to pay for the most basic necessities. And I can imagine at the end of September there's going to be huge issues, irrespective of uh, whether Morrison recalibrates his fiscal policy or not, the country's fiscal policies or not. So no wonder there's increasing anxiety in this country. Because if you are not sure of what's going to happen tomorrow, that increases your anxiety. And then we have the ridiculous situation of elderly people in this country, people who are retired, self-funded retirees, having to put their future in the hands of the stock market. Could you imagine that? Every day you wake up and you see whether your share portfolio has gone up and down and what's going to happen to you in retirement. And the privatisation of the aged care sector has resulted in huge issues as far as the care of elderly people is concerned. So we've got this anxiety across the country. You've got anxiety when you're young as a student. You've got to pay back your hex debt at some stage. You've got to get somewhere. You've got anxiety as somebody who's starting off in the workforce because you're unusually in part-time work, you know. Then you've got the anxiety when you've got a job because you've got all these commitments, financial commitments, whether you'll be able to keep that job, the fact that you've got to knuckle under constantly. And then if you're on Social Security benefits, you've got the anxiety of having to deal with a government which thinks of you as some type of subhuman, some drain on the economy, you know, on, on the nation, you know, lifters and leaners. And then you've got the anxiety of old age when, with the privatisation of old age, you find that you are totally dependent on the very systems that have exploited you for your old age. So no wonder we're one of the most anxious populations in the world. Because although we may have certain things other people haven't, and we've got that because through struggle, not through our struggles, but through the struggle of people before us, we now find ourselves in a situation where we are facing all these increasing challenges as individuals, as families, as friendship groups, and as communities. Now, one thing which I found very funny, because you know that the United States is the home of the brave and the free, just to move on, just to a little bit of a comedy skit, I did notice that Mr Trump's a little bit upset. Now, you may not know this, but um, the United States has never adhered to the International Criminal Court in the Hague in the Netherlands, right? They've never, you know, signed up. But there's currently some investigations going on which have been initiated by the International Criminal Court uh, on the behaviour of American troops in Afghanistan. And there's some major issues that have been raised, as there are raised now in Australia, regarding the behaviour of Australian troops in Afghanistan, especially the special forces. There's this ongoing investigation. So what does Mr Trump do? What does he do? 
he put sanctions on the judges, individual junctures of the International Criminal Court because they have the audacity to initiate an investigation into the behaviour of the United States troops in Afghanistan. Can you imagine that? Isn't that funny? I mean, if I uh, called up a judge here and uh, did what he did, I'd be in jail for 20 years, you know, for perjuring the course of justice, for perjury. It's just extraordinary, you know, extraordinary, extraordinary. And people just shrug their shoulders and say, that's the way it is. Well, that's the way it shouldn't be. You know, you've been listening to the Anarchist World This Week broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. We've ranged across a number of topics today. I mean, it's a great day to be alive, as they say. It's a great week to be alive. And as I said before, you can change things. You don't need me. You don't need your neighbours. You need to become active. Cut your ties with the Gunner tribe. Cut your ties with the somebody should do something about that tribe. And remember... We are the people we've been waiting for. So a number of things you can do. You can go to the YouTube channel, Public Interest Before Corporate Interests. You can go to my Facebook pages, Toscano for the Public or Joseph Toscano. You can write to us at Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. That's Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. You can email me at anarchistage at yahoo.com, anarchistage at yahoo.com. Info, I-N-F-O, at pipsy.net. Don't forget the Eureka Australia Medal nominations. Nominations close the early November. If you know somebody who has made a significant contribution to this country that hasn't been recognised in the official so-called honours list, send us uh, some written details. You can send them to Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052, or email them, email them to at anarchistage at yahoo.com. You can leave messages on 0439 395 489. 0439 395 489. And yes, I do still answer letters, irrespective of whether Australia Post delivers them or not. When I get them, I answer them within a week. Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. Thank you for listening to The Anarchist World this week courtesy of the Community Radio Network. This program has been streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. If you want to keep 3CR on air, don't forget about our, our month of June, our June appeal. Get a legal, legitimate tax deduction. Go to 3cr.org.au or uh, post checks or money orders to Post Office Box 20. Parkville 3052. Thank you once again for listening to the Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station. Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death's construction An analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World this week. Australia's Sacred Cow Slaughterhouse, 10am every Wednesday. Listen to the Anarchist World this week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Poisoning their brainwashed minds. Oh, larger.
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.